You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome back to our show a colleague and friend who was the very first guest uh, on our show, Reverend Talitha Arnold, Senior Pastor at United Church of Santa Fe. Talitha, welcome back to our show. Thank you very much, Rabbi Neil. So for today's discussion, you have chosen a topic that seems to continually resonate with you, the Christian roots of anti-Semitism and how Christians need to address them. And I know you wrote a piece about this last year in the Santa Fe, New Mexican, just before Passover and Easter. There's a new book out edited by John Sweeney called Jesus Wasn't Killed by the Jews. So the first obvious question is, why do you think this continues to be such an important topic today? Why is this relevant today? Because it keeps happening and the the results of it keep keep happening. What do you Um, mean it keeps happening? Well, for example, the Charlottesville um, Ah. march of a couple of years ago, um, I mean, Christian Christian nationalism, uh, white Christian supremacy, all those things are still happening. And they stir people up and they cause people to um, – or they mot- they're a motivation for people to do horrific things. Um, and the – I mean the shooting at the Pittsburgh um, – at the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Synagogue, and even the most recent attack um, at the rabbi's home during mm-hmm. Hanukkah. And even if the person who was who instigated the attack was dealing with a mental illness, the culture around us says that's okay to do. Does it though, or is it, or at least parts on... of the some of the, some parts of the culture say that it's still okay to do? In what way? Because I think this is the important part of, of addressing this. Where is the tolerance? I mean, nobody openly tolerates violence mm-hmm. in a religious setting, but is there that religious nuance that's still present? I guess that's the, the question. I think it still is. And I think that Christians have a moral obligation to, to work against that and to put the scriptures that we use in context. And if one is in a particular tradition that allows a little bit more freedom of interpretation and also um, understanding, then to, to do that. An example of that for me, uh, Rabbi Neal, would be that, for example, when a passage comes up um, in the Gospels, uh, Christian Gospels, that talks about the Pharisees and the scribes. Mm-hmm. I will generally change that to the religious leaders, because what I keep trying to emphasize with people is that the Pharisees and the scribes weren't doing what they were doing because they were Jewish, but because they were the people in power, and they were in cahoots with the political um, political leaders of the day as well, the Roman Empire. And, and also, to, to I don't think any of us who are Christian, or anyone else for that matter, but but speaking specifically for Christians, we cannot read our scriptures without understanding that they are written, they were written, and they were lived out under the shadow of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And, so, and that, that, offers, uh, that offers an understanding, I think, that isn't always there in terms of, it just, you just present the scripture. So you're um, saying that the narrative 
that's presented in the Christian Bible is mm-hmm. um, apologetic almost in the sense of don't want to upset the Romans as we write this. Is that what you're saying? To a certain degree, yes. I mean, you really find them, you find the Christian scriptures and Paul's letters under the radar of the Roman Empire. And as oftentimes happens, as we've seen other examples throughout history, when two groups are un- are both equally op- being oppressed by the by the empire, whatever the empire is, then rather than taking on the empire, mm-hmm. they take on one another. And I think that that is a lot of what is going on, was going on in the first, second, and third centuries. So this, of course, comes from a very liberal perspective, liberal reading of the tradition. Um, is it possible to 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 fight against this? perspective of bias of anti-Semitism if you're taking a more conservative perspective of this as the literal word of God? Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, number one, in the Vatican II documents, there was an acknowledgement in, 19, in the early 1960s by the Roman Catholic Church that to continue to preach or um, preach or offer the word that, that, that the that uh, the Jews killed Jesus or the Jews killed Christ was not correct. And that hasn't always filtered down, but certainly that was a start. That's one place. And then a second place is, um, as I shared with you in preparation for today, Christianity Today, which is not known as a liberal magazine, but is the more conservative voice for Protestant Christians, um, recently came out with an, with an article called um, why, oh, excuse me, killing Jesus's brothers and sisters and takes mm. on the anti-Semitism that has been prevalent throughout um, more conservative Christian history from the, from the, almost the, from the very beginning. So I think that, that there are examples of, you know, one does not have to be a progressive Protestant uh, as a Christian to say the ways in which we have portrayed our Jewish brothers and sisters, the ways in which we have read Scripture, um, and the and the political, economic, and violent ramifications of that reading, uh, we have to take responsibility for over the last two thousand years. When I was uh, a rabbi in Bournemouth, we uh, I was invited a number of times to speak at the large civic mm-hmm. church in, in England, and they I asked them uh, what is the reading for that day, mm-hmm. and they sent me the reading. I can't remember the exact quotation, but it was a uh, it was rallying against perfidious Jews. I remember that. Um, and I wrote back to them and said, just checking, are you aware that you've given me the re- that reading? And they said, we're so terribly sorry. We're, we'll change it. I said, no, you won't. Mm-hmm. I said, because I will come and talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. What is it? Th- that leads me to ask the question, how is um, how are these ancient anti-Semitic scriptures used today? Is there liturgy? Is there ritual? Other than just specific readings of the week? Are there prayers where it's mentioned, or or is it mainly just biblical readings? I can't speak for... Um I certainly can't speak for for other Christians. I do know that within the Catholic Church, that as a result of of Vatican II in the early 1960s, those prayers have been changed, and that there's no longer the the injunction to convert Jews to Christianity in prayer or in in any other way. Um, And that was a huge step. Mm. It may not sound like a huge step now, but 50 years ago, 60 years ago, that was a big step. Um, and, And certainly within... Um, a lot of evangelical Protestant uh, churches, more conservative than perhaps the church that I serve, um, there, there is an understanding that, that that is not something we need to be doing. 
You know, let let God sort all that out. That's not our job. And certainly within the denomination that I'm a part of, United Church of Christ, um, I'm more on the progressive side. That um, that it would become, it, it it comes to us not only in the biblical texts um, it, it, that we have to wrestle with and be honest about, but also in in teachings of the early church fathers and other mm. um and and all the way up through Martin Luther and also on, and on into our own uh, the last century um i don't think we have to dwell on it all the time but i think we've got to know that it's there right. and an, an example of that um rabbi neil was that in the early 1990s um that here in santa fe the catholic archdiocese and um and the jewish um, I don't know exactly what the regional association would be, but the Association of Reformed Congregations um, and also the what is now the Interfaith Leadership Alliance, what was then called the Ministerial Alliance, got together and for a good two or three years sponsored a Jewish-Christian dialogue. Right, right. And, and a lot of the input from that came from the uh, national... Um, Lutheran Church, the what is now the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, mm-hmm. to say, you know, we need to take as Lutherans, we're taking taking responsibility for um, for Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. That you know, Martin Luther had did some very good things, mm-hmm. and he also what did you know? He also perpetuated some of that anti-Semitism that was then horrifically used over the next hundreds of years. So, look, I, I'm no Christian Bible scholar. Um, but you mentioned the awareness of these texts and that we have to be aware that they're there. They're, I mean, let's delve into those texts briefly, if we okay. can. You know, um, Paul writes of the Jews who killed Jesus. Uh, in John uh, chapter 18, responsibilities taken away from the Romans and, and put firmly on the Jews um, because the, the Jews say, we can't put anyone to death, so you've got to do it right. for us. Right. Um, in Matthew 27, there's a story in which the... The Jews say his blood be upon Mm -hmm. us and our children. So it's one thing to acknowledge this. Mm -hmm. If you turn around and say, for example, as uh, Vatican II did and others, if you turn around and say, but that's not the case. The Jews did not kill Jesus. Is that actually taking away a a fundamental part, a building block, a, a grounding of Christianity itself? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um... I mean, I no, I don't think so. I, I think that again, I think one has to put scripture in the context in which it is being written, right. and you know that that uh, one of our statements at United is that we take the Bible seriously, we do not take it literally, and that that and and that you've always got to and that really to understand what is being said in a particular passage, you have to put it in the context that it was in. It's almost like an equation. Um, I remember a biblical professor of mine at Yale Divinity School actually putting an equation, a mathematical Ah. equation on the board where in order to understand what is this text saying to us today, uh, that was on the top of the dividing line and underneath the division symbol was what is our context and then going back to what was the Bible saying 2,000 years ago and what was the context. And so the variable is what's being said to us today. Right. And for me, at least, I always, that is the way that I, I was taught and I still believe is, a, is, a, is an important way to read Scripture. I mean, part of it, too, it, I mean, when I think about some of the, some of the Psalms, even, mm-hmm. um, 
that we share um, as two traditions. I mean, there's some there's a passage in one of the Psalms where it talks about the person is so angry that they want to take the babies of the of the uh, enemy and dash them against the rocks. Well, I mean, number one, I wouldn't I would never include that in a right. uh, in a in a service. Um, and if it came up in a Bible study or some other way, I would say I would talk about yeah, that is. What can happen? That kind of absolute rage is what can happen when people are feeling that that oppressed. So I, I love this quotation of we take the Bible seriously, but we do not take it literally. But but then perhaps part of the issue, part of the challenge is that these have been taken literally. Absolutely. And therefore, um, if it is the literal word of God dictated word for word, then God, God's self mm-hmm. is saying this was the Jews' fault. Well, but in the same way, okay, again, I mean, I would not be sitting in front of you as an ordained Christian minister if right. I took the Bible literally. Right. Because Paul, who I actually do like most of the time, <laughs> because he understands congregational dynamics better than anybody, <laughs> uh, and knows that there's a difference between keeping a congregation going and a, and a movement that mm-hmm. is a one-shot deal, um, <laughs> that, you know, I mean, women should be silenced. Right. You know, right, I mean, our, our Timothy, or the letter of Timothy, that women are not supposed to teach. Well, then what the heck am I doing here sitting right. in front of you with reverend in front of my name and leading a congregation? Um, so, I, I mean, I, for me, biblical study is constantly engaging with that. And if we take it literally, then it's not, I mean, I mean, it, yes, it ends up in an incredibly anti-Semitic trope at times, um, but it has a whole lot of other consequences right. of taking things literally. Plus, the Bible itself doesn't take itself literally. The four Gospels all disagree in terms of what happened at the resurrection. Was it one woman? Was it Mary Magdalene? Was it five women? Was it no women? Did they say anything? Did they do something? I mean, for me, don't try to put these, biblical, these wonderful biblical texts um, both the ones that come from the Hebrew Bible that Christians share or the ones that come from Christian scripture in a box because we don't want to put God in a box. We have to take a pause. But since you've <laughs> mentioned the resurrection, we'll come back after this break to talk about a viewpoint I heard of the resurrection, which I thought was quite wonderful that shares, uh, adds something to this discussion. So we uh, are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich, my guest, Reverend Talitha Arnold, the senior pastor at United Church of Santa Fe. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Reverend Talitha Arnold, Senior Pastor at United Church of Santa Fe. And uh, we're talking about um, the Christian roots of anti-Semitism and what do, how do Christians look at anti-Semitism and uh, look at the Bible in particular. And before the break, you mentioned uh, the resurrection. So I, I wanted to share, I was once talking uh, with a man called Justin Selick. He was an actor in England, lovely guy. He'd been playing Shylock in The Merchant of Venice. And he said something in a conversation about The Merchant of Venice that I thought was quite extraordinary, that, I, that I'd love your response to. He said, I don't understand Christian anti-Semitism. He said, even if the Jews did kill Jesus, he came back three days later. <laughs> What's your thought on that? I, I think that's a very wise, wise response to it. Um, that, yeah, I mean, I... I, I I don't think that lets Christians off the hook for the anti-Semitism, but I think it's a very clever and creative way of looking at that whole event of the crucifixion. Because it leads to that question about is, if, is, is it possible to kill God? Is, mm-hmm. can, did, 
is it Christian theology philosophy that that Jesus that God gave God's self in order to be crucified? Because if God doesn't want to be crucified, then God doesn't get crucified. Is that right? I, I, I don't quite understand the Christian theology, so I'm wondering if you can share that. Well, I wouldn't say it's the Christian theology, oh, sorry, but it's my understanding right. of the Christian theology. And that is, I mean, yes, the Christianity, I think one of, one of Christianity's contributions to the overall question of faith um, is that of the incarnation. Mm. And for me at least, um, and I think the tradition that I represent within Christianity, that the incarnation was not meant to put God in, the, in a human male form on a pedestal and dust him off on occasion. For me, the incarnation, which simply comes from the word carne, meaning body or flesh, like chili con carne, um, <laughs> it means that, that somehow this mystery of God that created heaven and earth, that is the spirit that gives us breath, also knows what it's like to walk around in these human bodies with these human emotions, and that God's heart is a heart that's able to be broken. And I also would argue that we find roots of that and understandings in in Hebrew Scripture. Mm-hmm. When Hosea talks about um, God, I mean, about, you know, when, when Israel is my son, I carried him, etc., you hear, you hear the anguish of a human heart breaking, um, so that it wasn't a completely new understanding. Um, and that, that, at least for me, is important in in those dark nights of my own soul or in the souls of the people that I serve, that God is just not, God is not, yes, God is definitely mystery. God is definitely beyond our imaginings and beyond our words and beyond the wall that we might pray at. Um, but that God also knows what it's like to to walk around in these human bodies and not as the Greek myths would have God, you know, the gods getting dressed up. Right. But, you know, God for Christians, you know, knowing what it's like to cry as a baby with a dirty diaper at night, right? to lose a father, uh, to disappoint your mother, <laughs> to have your friends betray that you. That sounds very Jewish. Uh, <laughs> the disappointing well, mother. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you know, all those human things that, that to, and to experience the joy of human life, the, the beauty of the sky and the smell of new grass and all of that. Um, so for me, at least, that's incarnation in even up to the very end. Um, and so is it possible to kill God? I think that's a whole other conversation. Um, but, I, but one thing I do want to point out about the crucifixion that the Christians don't always understand or know or whatever. I mean, I, when I grew up as a kid, um, I, I always had been taught, I thought, uh, that, that you know, Jesus, was, Jesus and the two thieves are the only, two peop- only three people who'd ever been crucified. Oh, right. The reality is, is that crucifixion was, in fact, the Romans— um, torture, death uh, of choice. Yes, to to strike terror in the um, in the in the population, and either sometime around the time of Jesus's birth and or boyhood, there is good historical evidence that up in Galilee, mm-hmm. up in where Nazareth was, that there had been a Jewish rebellion and the Roman legions had marched in and they had crucified crucified three thousand people. Right. I mean, talk about an act of absolute terror. Right. Um, and so I think that, that, again, we put that, then we put Jesus's, the, the crucifixion of Jesus in that context. Interesting. And you cannot get away from the fact that it was a Roman choice. Right, right because the Jews did not crucify. The Jews did not crucify, and, and they themselves are being crucified right. by the Romans. Right. And so was everybody else and their cousin. I mean, you know, if you got above the radar uh, with the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. you were, I mean, it's not unlike some of the regimes that we see these days. So let me ask, because... 
there's one passage which I, I need to share with you and, and really get your perspective on, and it's a Talmudic passage. So it's a Jewish passage mm -hmm. which says, yeah, we did kill Jesus. Um, and, and it's a fascinating passage. It's, it's from Talmud. It's uh, Tractate Sanhedrin, page 43a. And, and it quotes a Baraita, which is a, uh, a source, a very early source, so somewhere before the year 200. So anywhere within 200 mm -hmm. years or so of this uh, event. And it says, and I'm, I'm going to quote it. On Passover Eve, they hung the corpse of Jesus the Nazarene and after they, killed, uh, after they killed him by way of stoning. And a crier went out before him for 40 days publicly saying, Jesus the Nazarene is going to be stoned because he practiced sorcery, incited people to idolatry and led the Jewish people astray. And so anyone who knows of any reason to acquit him should come forward and teach it on his behalf. But the court didn't find a reason to acquit him, so they stoned him and they hung his corpse on Passover Eve. And so this text is really quite extraordinary because firstly, it talks about a 40-day consultation mm -hmm. period, which was totally um, unheard of. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, Talmud asks, why would he be allowed that extra 40 days of acquittal? And the fascinating response is because he was so close to the government. Um, as opposed to the Jews being close mm. to the government. So, because he was so close to mm. the government and they wanted to be sure that they didn't upset the government, the Romans, by, um, by falsely accusing him. And, and so this is a very different twist. And, and of course, it's not contemporaneous with the events. Mm -hmm. So it could just be a, a sort of anti-Semitism, anti mm -hmm. a way of saying, well, they're accusing us of mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. So since they're accusing us, if that were true... Why would we have done it? It would have been because he was an idolater, a sorcerer, mm. whatever. So it's it, and in some sense, this story is similar to the Christian Bible narrative of of around Easter. But in some sense, it's very different because mm -hmm. it's stoning and um, and hanging as opposed to crucifixion. So, you know, that's a very challenging text in all this to add. So I'm wondering what your response is to this. Well, I, I'm not a Jewish scholar, um, and so for me, I guess I would ask, writings that are in the Talmud, are they, are they considered what, we, what a Christian would, would say canonical? Well, it depends who you ask. Okay. I mean, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you mm -hmm. believe that um, the written and the oral law were di dictated word for word from God. Even the stuff which hadn't happened yet, mm -hmm. Moses wrote it down and right. passed it down. If you are a Reformed Jew, then you see it as rabbinic writings in response mm -hmm. to these right. events. So. Well, see, and that, that's, that's the category that I would put it in because right. the same, same, th same thing is true with sacred scripture within the Christian context, that we have the four canonical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the canonical letters of Paul and others. Uh, but, you know, that, that first, second, and even on into the third century, that was such, such a tumultuous time, mm. people trying to figure it out. What had happened? What is happening? What does that mean for us? And I, I guarantee you there are some pretty odd Gospels, um, apocryphal Gospels, like right. the Gospel of James, um, and even the Gospel of Thomas that have some pretty unusual things in them, and that I think they're important because they inform us what the conversation was, but they're not things that I'm going to bet my life on. Right. right. And so for me, at least, that would be how I, and I think that, yeah, the idea of it sort of being, okay, if you're going back to the, the, the Talmudic writing, um, if you're going to accuse us of doing this, then we're going to tell you why. Right. Um, 
And my, you know, I've probably written a few things like that myself. At times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they. I don't. I, I hope to God they were never considered canonical <laughs> Talitha Jane Arnold scripture. Uh, so, but I think it. I, I, for me, I, you know, I think that first, second, and third century are just mm-hmm. is a. T- I mean, I think that one of the ways of getting at the the anti-Semitism, the roots of the an, of anti-Semitism in Jew, for Christians toward Jews, is to really look at that that those first two or three centuries and just see what the heck was going on and why were people responding in the way that they did. I mean, there must have been so much pain in the Jewish community of this split anyway that Absolutely. The, that there might have been that sense of, yes, we, we want to own this That's actually right. That's right. because we, it shows that we are the power and, and you are not. Right. Um, well, and and also, I mean, that one of the things I always bring up, Rabbi Neil, with regard to when we're interpreting scripture in um, – in in uh, at United is you that 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 in addition to the Roman Empire sort of in a in a generic kind of way there's also the whole experience of the destruction of Jerusalem the destruction of right. the temple right. and what that what that kind of almost what that kind of apocalyptic experience had on people it wasn't just the temple downtown it was the whole city right. and, and and the, the center, center of the Jewish center of all life of it. And theology absolutely. absolutely and how people have responded to that um, and if you look at similar kinds of similar kinds of events um, in human history that will find I think similar you know not not word for word kinds of responses but I think right. a similar kind of tone people trying to figure out what the heck has happened. Victim and lashing out at victim, as you Absolutely. said before. Right. So in, in our last few minutes, I guess for me, coming back to that, that Matthew passage about his blood be on us and our children, for me, even if the Jews did kill Jesus, mm-hmm. even if um, you could say, even if it was the entire generation uh, of people who clamored round and so on, the, that passage from Matthew that says his blood be on us and our children, that's the mm-hmm. thing that that I struggle with. Is it possible to say, yes, maybe the Jews did kill Jesus, maybe they didn't. I mean, historically, the Romans killing Jesus makes much more sense. And, you know, you've discussed mm-hmm. that in terms of the, the Crucifixion Act itself and who was in power and, and so on. But even if we say the worst, which is that the Jews at the time did kill Jesus, that was then, this is now. Absolutely. And and for me, I, there's a there's a sort of thing... The, the Crusades happened, mm-hmm. right, where a lot of Christians killed a lot of Jews. That doesn't mean that today's Christians are liable for the Crusades. Absolutely. So is there a way to bring in that sense of, okay, maybe allowing his blood be on us, but on our children, you know, we don't pass the sins of parents down to right. children. So is that a way forward? I, I think it's a very important way forward. That again, you you set the you set the event in the context, um, and that I mean again, Matthew is you know he's got it he's got an agenda, and he's talking to a certain group of people, and he's got a real agenda that basically you know he's saying my faith is the true faith, and this other faith um, is is no longer true, right. um, and 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 going forward, I mean you know Matthew talks a lot about generations. He starts his gospel going tracing the generation all the way back to Abraham, but then also says God can raise up um, children of Abraham from these stones. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's like any good writer. He hedges his bets. Um, but that, but when you get to that passage, I absolutely, I mean, I, we don't in other situations hold people, hold children or grandchildren or great, 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 great grandchildren responsible for their ancestors' behavior. Um, 
that, yeah, we don't, and not in the kind of way that it has. It's 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 like a it's a it's perpetuating the trauma. Right. It's it, I mean, and in some ways, one could one could really look at Jewish Christian relations as an overarching family narrative. And if we keep going back to what happened in the past, it doesn't mean that we don't take the past seriously. But we don't have to keep reliving the trauma. And unfortunately, because of scriptures and because of the way Christian liturgy has often gotten lived out, especially during Holy Week, uh, we 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 recreate that trauma every single year. And that's what Christians have to mitigate against. That is a perfect way to round off. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for taking on such a a brave, exciting and really interesting topic. Um, So thank you to Reverend Talitha Arnold, Senior Pastor at United Church of Santa Fe. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. (laughs) It's really great having you back, um, remembering all the way back to our very first show and now here. and, And I certainly hope you'll be back again. Thank you. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.